0: Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. First of all, happy belated Easter. Um, that's kind of a joke, but uh, also, it is Orthodox Easter, so we are still going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Amen. Because Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus did not raise from the dead to live for a week and then go to lay to rest. He is as alive today as he was last Sunday and the Sunday before that and the Sunday before that and the Sunday before that. I don't know if you know this, but the resurrection, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed the way we even count time. It is 2022. Why is it 2022? because Jesus died and rose from the grave. And from that point, we have counted time differently. It is 2022 A.D. What does A.D. stand for? It does not stand for after death. It actually is a Latin phrase that is Anno Domini. And what that phrase means is it is the year of our Lord. So the first year now, this is important. The first year after Jesus died and rose, rose again, they now counted the time as year one of the year of our Lord. Why did they say the year of our Lord? Because there was no other lords that could lord themselves over Jesus if Jesus conquers death. Right, come on. So we are in 2022, and every single year from here on out, I want, you, I want you to write this note down, set a timer, set an alarm, or do something on New Year's Day, I want you to be reminded that it is 2023, 2023 years from when Jesus conquered death. Right. Every year is a reminder. And so we're going to talk about it this morning. Earlier this week, when I was disappointed that we had to delay our Easter gathering, I got on my knees and I told God how frustrated I was. And He said, Caleb, I am alive. That is all that matters. Right. Come on. I am alive. And so this morning, we're going to remember and remind ourselves of what he has done in and through his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul talked about how important the resurrection is to our faith. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, now he's not saying this because Jesus didn't raise. He is saying this because he's making a point. That if Jesus did not raise from the dead, we have nothing to stand on. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus is what all of our faith hinges on and relies on. And and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. What that means is that not even, not even his death on the cross means anything without his resurrection. I want you to understand that. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, he would be another criminal that died on a crucifixion. Right. Died death by crucifixion. That was the common way in which criminals were punished in Rome. If Jesus does not raise from the, from the dead, he is amongst all of the others in all of his claims about who he says he is, are now false, because he said he would rise. See, I love this, this phrase, it says, this quote, it says, it is the resurrection that makes Good Friday good. Otherwise, it would be a tragic Friday. For if he never rose from the dead, how would you and I ever be reassured that his sacrifice on the cross did actually provide forgiveness of sin, did pave a way for us to have a relationship with God, and did offer eternal life after we die. How would we know that? How would we know? Unless he did things like when he appeared to Thomas, walked through a wall and said, put your hands in my holes and your hands in my side. He was making a point. You saw me die. By the way, the reason why he was pierced with the spear was not just to fulfill a prophecy. It was actually to make sure that he was dead. That spear would go through his side into his heart so that it was absolutely certain that he was dead. And I love when Jesus walks through a wall to a doubting uh, Thomas and says, hey, put your hand in my side. Right. Come on. I want you to know that I wasn't lying or faking it, when I said, it is finished, and I gave up the ghost. I am alive. How would we know, church, if Jesus who is who he says he is, if he did not raise from the dead right. in this life? See, another way of putting this is this. How would we know that faith in Jesus' death on the cross would give us life after our own death if Jesus did not come back to life after his death? That's why the resurrection matters so much and it changes everything for anyone who puts their faith in him so with that being said turn with me to john chapter 11 verse 25 matter of fact you can just stay at john chapter 11 i'm going to bounce around to a couple different places but we'll ultimately get back to john chapter 11 uh, and reference that but in john 11:25, 25 jesus is speaking with a lady named martha martha has a brother and sister. Martha has a sister named Mary and a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is, uh, it's urgent. And, and so Jesus is having a conversation with Martha in light of Lazarus' sickness and ultimately his death. He has just died. And, he's, and Jesus says something to her that is important for what we're going to talk about today. John 11, 25, 26 says, I am The resurrection and the life. Now, he made this statement before he died, but he would prove it in his resurrection. If you are are resurrection, then you cannot stay dead. Because resurrection, by definition, is what? Raising from the dead. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So this morning, in light of that scripture, I want to talk to you from the topic on this Easter Sunday, the best of both worlds. The best of both worlds. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Father, for everything that we've already talked about. God, we invite you to stay here in the midst of us. Lord, we pray that today we would see you in a way we've never seen you before. We pray that you would appear to every single person in a unique, significant, and special way. In the same way that you appeared to Thomas and the disciples. That we would know you are alive and our life is in you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. How many of you have ever used the phrase best of both worlds before? Anyone ever heard someone say that? Okay, now this is not like a common cultural phrase that is used often today, but nevertheless, people still use it from time to time. And you can use this phrase for anything and everything, but the true purpose of the phrase is to describe how you can enjoy multiple things at the same time. You can enjoy multiple things simultaneously or at the same time. Let me give you an example. Some people would say, I have the best of both worlds. I have a great job and I have a great family right? Best of both worlds. How many of you would say, I would say that if I had that reality, that you have a great job and you have a great, great family. Best of both worlds. Now here's another one. Others could use this phrase to describe a situation like this. I can eat whatever I want and not gain any weight. That would be the best of my world. If that was my reality, I would use that phrase every time I ate. I look at a donut and gain five pounds. Right. It, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not lying. You just—I look at a donut, I just swell. I, it's just like I, I'm starting to feel humid or something. I don't—I'm retaining water just by looking at a donut. By the way, if you're that person, you are annoying. <laughs> there are people like that that can eat whatever they want and never gain weight. And I'm like, how? Jesse raised his hand. You're annoying, dude, I love you, but you're annoying. Eat whatever you want and not gain any weight. Here's another one, here's another example of best of both worlds. I worked at UPS for five years, and uh, they advertised at the beginning orientation, now this was false advertising, but they advertised at the beginning of the orientation that uh, the essence of working, at working was that you would get paid to work out for a for whole shift. And they were saying, it's the best of both worlds. You don't even have to go to the gym anymore. Your, your job is going to the gym, and you get to get paid for it. Now, it was extremely false advertising. Because if you've ever worked for UPS or FedEx in loading those trucks, it's crazy. Other people uh, say they want the best of the both, both, both worlds. You'll see this like on HGTV and stuff like that. By the way, it's so annoying just watching these people describe what type of house they want. They're so picky and extreme. It's like, I would never even want to be a realtor like that. It's just crazy. But they're always like, I want to live in the country and be 10 10 minutes away from the city. That doesn't exist. It does not exist. But they want this, this reality of best of both worlds. I want to live in the country and have all the peace and quiet, but I want to be 10 minutes away from all of the privileges of the city. Another one would be that uh, people described working from home from, as the best of both worlds, right? You know, you can, you can get up, you can roll out of bed, you don't have to spend gas money these days to go to work. You can get food from the fridge, make coffee whenever you want, you can have a suit on the top and sweatpants on the bottom. The best of both worlds, right? Working from your computer, people talk about, this idea of the best of both worlds. And when I was looking at John chapter 11, verse uh, 25, it occurred to me that what Jesus said to Martha was that he was providing humanity with the best version of the best of both worlds that human beings could ever have. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that necessarily mean? Let's look at the first one. He said, I am the resurrection. What he was saying was that he is the means and he is the only way for you and I to experience eternal life after our own natural death. How many of you know that there will be a day in this life where we will breathe our last breath? Jesus is the only way for you and I to experience new life when our hearts stop beating. Eternal life is not something that is earned, It's not something that you could get because you're good enough. The Bible says only God is good. Eternal life is not something you get by luck or by lottery. It is a gift given by someone, watch this, who has to possess a power over death itself to give it to you. And none of us have that power. Matter of fact, let me take it a step further. There is no other significant religion in the world that claims that their founder has that power. You have to have the power over death itself to prove that you can give the gift of eternal life. This is why the resurrection is so important, obviously. And this is why Jesus did what he did. He wanted to prove it in his own life. Let us not forget that there are only two options for every human being after we die. I know that hell is not a popular topic. It's not in the top 10 list in 2022 of most picked sermons. But nevertheless, listen, you and I will experience either death and destruction for eternity or life for eternity. Right. It's, it's one or the other. We, that, those are our options. And what Jesus was stating in John eleven twenty five 25 is that he is resurrection life and because of that, he is the way by which we can experience life for eternity instead of death for eternity. That is good news. How many of you are thankful this morning that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, our physical death is not something that leads to perpetual death for eternity? See, when Jesus raised from the dead and gave us that offering, death now becomes a door. And by the way, this was not his plan to begin with. God God did not plan for death to be this hinge point that would separate life. His plan from the beginning was that he would create humanity in paradise, in Eden, and they would live forever. But death came because of what? Sin. And the only way that Jesus can bridge that gap between the two worlds is by dying on a cross, raising from the dead, and then making death a transformative thing where it's no longer death to death, but it's a door to life. Because of Jesus Christ and what he has done through his own death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, our physical death simply becomes a door to a greater, better reality. Let me tell you about that reality in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. And I know many of you have already heard this many, several times. You've been to Easter services before, but you need to hear it again. Why do you think it's on our calendar? Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And this is the part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. When you put your faith in Jesus, and pass away from this life and enter into the next, all of the pain and suffering and hardship of this life will be old news. That's why I believe on the other side of eternity, when people stand in the presence of the God that allowed them to exist in the first place, they will not care the means by which they got there. That's That's why martyrs are the closest ones to the throne. Because they won't care how they got there. It is a greater reality. This is why we sang about it and Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 55. He said, oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? How many of you know death stings? Death is painful. Death hurts. Especially when it's tragic. I wasn't close with Dwayne Haskins, but did you hear the news? One of the former OSU quarterbacks a couple weeks ago died tragically at 24 years old. It's painful. It hurts. It stings. But I also know that there are several people around him that said he was a firm believer in Jesus Christ. And I'm just saying this. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure the means by which he got there pale in comparison to what he's experiencing right now. It's a better, greater life. It loses its sting. How does death lose its sting? Death loses its sting by simply becoming a doorway to an eternal life for the believer. Paul, earlier in another scripture, about four verses before 1 Corinthians 15, in uh, 51 through 54, he says this, that death for the believer is not a tragic end of life but a transformative beginning of life. See, I want you to see something. When Jesus died and rose again, he changed what death did. Right. Look at 51. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment. In other words, when we breathe our last breath, last breath when our eyes close, our eyes will open and our, our, we will breathe again. It's so quick, it will happen in a moment, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. It is then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die. See, when you put your faith in Jesus, every tragic and sad means of death loses its sting because it becomes the means by which you you enter into a better reality. See, we all know that death stings, we all know that it hurts, especially when there's no hope of something better coming after, and there's no hope that we would ever see the person again. But when Jesus died and rose, he changed what death did, and especially when you're a believer, and the person that is lying on their deathbed or happens to pass away as a believer, it's not I will never see you again, it's I will see you later. Right. God, that is amazing. Because what we mourn is missing the experience we have with the people. Missing the experience we have in this world. But we will have it again. And it will be without pain and death and sorrow and sickness and disease. That is a better reality. When you put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't have to sting. It does sting, but it doesn't sting as bad because we are not those who don't have hope. No matter the cause of death, the means of death, how old you are, how young you are, the situation, the circumstance, death is not final because Jesus has transformed what death actually does for the believer. For the believer, death does not take a life, death becomes the giver of new life. See, we always are thinking, man, death took. For the believer, man, death gave. It is a celebration. Why do we celebrate at funerals? Because God changed what death does. He changed what death does. It's a door to new life. Death no longer takes life. Death gives life for the believer. That's why death no longer has a sting. Jesus proved it and he talked about it before he ever died on the cross. He said in John 14, 19, he said, after a little while, the world will no longer see me. What is he talking about? I'm going to die. They will not see me. I'm going to rent a tomb as an Airbnb for three days. Right. Right. And when I'm in there, you won't see me. But you will see me. In other words, you'll see me again. And this is the point. And because I live, you will live also. Awesome. Come on. What he's saying is, You will see, you won't see me because I will be in a grave, but you will see me again. And when I show up on your doorstep with the holes in my hands, in my feet, and go ahead and touch my side, why did did God allow Jesus' resurrected body to still have the wounds? Because he wanted them to know that it was him. Because remember, Mary at his grave didn't even know who it was until he said her name. Thomas, he walks through the wall and he says, put your hand in my side because I want you to remember when I said in John 14, 19, it wasn't even John 14, 19. Then. It was you remember when I had that conversation on a Tuesday when we were eating chicken right. and I said in a little while you won't see me, but you will see me again. And because I live, you will also when Thomas was touching his side, he knew, oh, I will have my resurrection because he's standing here in the literal flesh. Right. You will see me again. He, death becomes the giver of new life. See, Why didn't Jesus die on the cross and go straight to heaven? Because if he did that, he could not assure us that we would live again after our own death if he didn't after his. Right. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but because I live, you will live also. Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. So he's he's resurrection, but listen, he—he is also life. He's not a life, he's the life. There is only one Ohio State University. They can put the on it, because there's only one. Jesus is saying, I am the life. What has what what Jesus done through his death and resurrection is this, he has provided for human beings the pinnacle, premier existence that you and I could ever have on the planet. John 10, 10, he talks about this. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they may have life, and not just life, but have it abundantly. Abundant life is the life that Jesus offers. Now, abundant life is not necessarily living in abundance. Abundance life is not necessarily experiencing all that the world has to offer. If that's what abundant life is, then Matthew and Jesus would have never said in Matthew 16, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I heard an interview from Mike Tyson. This was just crazy. Mike Tyson was talking about all of these people that talk about dreaming of having success, fame, fortune, wealth. He said those people that have that dream, they've never been on the top. And that's why they have the dream. Mike Tyson knew, I've been on the mountain, I've been on the pinnacle, I've gained the whole world, but you don't know what that does to your soul. Right. It's not what you think it is. It's just not. So abundant life is not experiencing everything that the world offers. He said the reason why they say that is because they've never been there before. So we can try to create our own version of paradise in life, can't we? But we have to understand that paradise is only paradise if the original designer of paradise is still in the center of it. Yeah, we look at the Genesis narrative story, we see that God created Adam and Eve in Eden in paradise. And what happens is this, sin obviously causes the separation. Sin kicks them out of that paradise and for the rest of life, people are born with sin nature And what what does God do? God has to create a way or provide a way for them to get back into paradise. But let me tell you something. The reason why I know God exists is because all of us have a desire to create an ideal reality. We are looking for paradise. But I'm just telling you that if you try to create paradise without God in the center of it, it won't be paradise. It will not fulfill. It will not satisfy because you have a soul and God gave that to you. He's the he's the author of it. And so that's what Mike Tyson is talking about. I have, cre- I have pursued the top. I've been to the mountaintop of what this world has to offer. But the reason why you have that dream, aspiration, ambition is because you've never been on the top. And it's uglier than you think it is. That's why Jesus said, what does it profit for you to gain the whole world and lose your soul? See, abundant life is not experiencing all that the world has to offer. Abundant life is a life lived in personal relationship and connection to God. That's it. Abundant life is a life forgiven of sin. Right. See, you don't actually know how heavy sin is until you have someone lifted off. Yeah, right. It is a life forgiven of sin. Make no mistake about it. We need forgiveness of sin. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. If we have moments where we hurt other people and we need their forgiveness, how much more do we need God's forgiveness? We can't escape needing forgiveness because from, in relationships across from each other, we have to forgive each other all the time. How much more with God? We need to be forgiven because Romans 3.23 says, "Without or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in the same boat. It's a level playing field. We are all in need of forgiveness. Sin brings destruction. Sin brings damage. Sin brings death. Not only do we have the effects of sin all around us, but every human being is born with a sin nature. And if you don't believe that, you've never had children. My God, little heathens. We had a Allison and I, we had a little heathen meeting last night. <laughs> heathen one, this is what you're doing. Heathen two, heathen three. We, we all had to have a conversation with the heathens. You don't believe sin exists? You've never had children. My Lord Jesus. <laughs> and by the way, we're born with a sin, wait- sin nature, so, so we don't actually even have to work hard to sin. It's by default. It is our default. If you don't believe sin exists, how, did, how easy was it to come to church this morning? Did you struggle with your kids? Did you want to put them in a head, headlock? Did you almost cuss somebody out on the freeway, on the road to get here? Were you late and you were stressed out and frustrated and angry? I know I need forgiveness every time I come to church. Not because of the conviction of the message, but the experience I have between my house and here. <laughs> We need to be forgiven. So our sin has to be dealt with. And Corinthians says that Jesus became our sin so that we might be forgiven and become right before God. I love that scripture. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become right before God. In him. So abundant life is a life forgiven of sin. And here's another one. Abundant life is peace with God. Romans 5.1 talks about it. We can't make peace with God. God had to make peace for us. And can I just say something to every single person in the room? You will be no more at peace with yourself than when you are at peace with God. That's right. There is a rest that comes to you and a peace that comes to you. There are people in the room that are like, I'm not at peace by myself. You get peace with God, you'll, you'll be at peace with yourself. It's just a part of it. See, Abundant life is knowing God for yourself. It's experiencing God. It's knowing the one that created you and allowed you to exist. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now, that word life in John 11, 25 is a a Greek word. It's the word zoe, and I want you to just hear what it means. It's the absolute fullness of life which God intended for humanity and provides for the human soul. He's the resurrection and the life, the best of both worlds. Every human being in in this this room, in this world, needs a relationship with God. The God who created you, loved you, has plans and purposes for you. You, you. Many of you already know that. See, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is life after death, and he is abundant life here. He is heaven after we die, and he is the closest thing to heaven here. There was an old song that said, Heaven is Jesus. It was a song we sang probably 10, 15 years ago. He's the closest thing to heaven here. As N.T. Wright says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. He is not only the way that we have eternal life after we die and have a relationship with God, but I want you to get this because this is important. There is a resurrection after we die, and there is a resurrection in this life before we die. See, Jesus provides humanity with the best version of the best of both worlds. Through what Jesus has done, he has given us the best of both worlds. But just like I said, listen, the best of both worlds is not only resurrection life after we die, but it is resurrection in this life. In this life. What does that look like? We see in John chapter 11, we talked about, We opened with, I am the resurrection and the life, and this is a part of a story, if I could have the worship team come forward, but this is a part of a story where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, once again, they are uh, in the middle of a dire circumstance. Lazarus is on sick. okay? Now, let me tell you about Lazarus. Lazarus is terminal. He doesn't have a head cold. Lazarus is terminal, and out of desperation and out of urgency, and them struggling, they've done everything they can, and so Mary and Martha decide to reach out to Jesus. Jesus is not in the town they're in. They live in Bethany. Jesus is in another town. He's about a one-day journey, one day uh, a walk away from the town that they live in, but nevertheless, Lazarus is sick. And he's on his deathbed. They don't know how many days are going to go by. They don't know how many days he has left. And so they reach out to Jesus. They send word to him. They can't send him an email, a text. They can't call him, FaceTime him. They actually have to send a messenger to him. They don't go themselves because they're tending to their brother. So they send a messenger. They go, the, the messenger gets there. And basically uh, the messenger says, hey, this is word for Mary and Martha. Lazarus is sick. He's not doing good. He's on his deathbed, and if you don't come soon and heal him, he's going to be gone forever. So Jesus is like, okay, I'm going to send a word back to you. I'm going to let you know that he says this, it's this scripture. I don't know exactly what it is, but the verse, but it says that he says, Go and send word that Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. But God will be glorified through this. Now, the the paraphrase of that is, Mary, Martha, you guys don't need to worry. Just relax. He's going to be fine. That's very frustrating, though, because we see that Lazarus actually dies. Like, Isn't it confusing when Jesus is direct, but you don't understand what the direct means? And so, matter of fact, let me take it a step further. He is gone from them, but the Bible says that rather than run to them and heal their brother because he told them that Lazarus's sickness will not end in death, he actually stays where he is for two days, just kind of hanging out. Two days go by, and by the time that he actually shows up, Lazarus is dead. Okay, now let me tell you about Lazarus. Lazarus is not one day dead. Lazarus is not two days dead. Lazarus is not three days dead. Lazarus is four days dead. You know what four days dead is? That is dead dead. Right. Um, if you've ever seen Princess Bride, when the main character was getting tortured, they asked him, is he dead? And he was like, he's mostly dead? That wasn't Lazarus. Lazarus was dead dead. Okay, you're, you are maybe mostly dead at day one, But day four, bro, you are dead. And this is when Jesus shows up. On the fourth day, he shows up on the fourth day. Now, before he shows up on the fourth day, he actually tells his disciples after two days of just relaxing, he says, hey, I love this. He says, hey, guys, uh, let's go um, and uh, help Lazarus. He says this, these words. He says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. Ooh, Lord. So let's go and wake him up. Um, to me, Lazarus is dead, dead. But listen to me this morning. When you are the one who has power over death itself, people who are dead to everyone else are just asleep to you. And they're like, Thomas, I love Thomas. He's like, if he's asleep, he'll just wake up. Jesus is like, what I meant was he's dead. He's dead. He's dead, listen, he's dead to you. He's just asleep to me. He's just asleep. By the time he gets to Mary and Martha, obviously he is dead, dead. Now the interesting thing about four days dead is that there's actually a medical significance to that. Though at the moment of your death, the internal part of you begins to decompose and decay, your body actually on the external, as a lot of doctors say, does not show signs of decomposition and decay until about the fourth or fifth day. Which is actually a really interesting, perfect picture of what sin does. Sin will decay and decompose you on the inside before it shows signs on the outside. We can go through life with sin thinking we can manage it, conceal it, and cover it up. We can act like it's not affecting us because our external life hasn't shown any signs of its effects. But truth be told, listen to me, we are as dead as Lazarus was. A life of sin is as dead a life as the life of Lazarus. In the once again, in the eyes of God, He sees both of them one and the same. And so Jesus comes when Lazarus is four days dead, and Mary and Martha obviously are upset because they had sent He had sent word back to them that this would not result in death, and then He dies, and they're angry and they don't understand because they wanted Jesus listen to simply come and heal their brother so that he could continue to live out his life. Can I just tell you something? I want you to understand. I believe that Jesus was making a point in waiting until Lazarus was four days dead. I believe that Jesus wanted to use Lazarus' resurrection as an example to show us how he can give humanity the best of both worlds. Listen, not only is he the way in which we have eternal life, but he is the way in which we experience new life or resurrection life in this life. When God saves you, he does not renovate or remodel your old life because your old life is as dead as Lazarus. He's not painting new paint on the walls. He has, he, he, listen, you need new life, not a renovated life. You need resurrection life, not a remodeled life. And I believe he was painting a picture with the life of, of, of Lazarus. When God saves you, he does not renovate or remodel. He gives you brand new. The truth is, is that even though you and I are alive and have not physically died, you and I need a resurrection. And let me tell you the resurrection you need. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, that's the old life, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among them, oh man, this, this is a, he's talking about the testimony of what happens when you put your faith in Jesus and things change. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But... God, yeah. Thank you, Lord. don't you love when God butts in right. being rich in mercy mm. because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions. Mm. See, you thought you weren't dead. Mm. But dead Physically and dead spiritually is no different to God. Both ways, you are dead and just asleep. Even when you were dead in your transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. Do you know that Paul was writing that not as a metaphor? He was writing it to people with a pulse. You used to be dead but because you put your faith in Jesus. By the way, listen, a life before Jesus is just a dead life. You are like a zombie feeding on flesh, giving into the cravings and the indulgences of your selfish, sinful nature. You are as dead as someone physically dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, comes and while you were dead in your sins, made you alive to Christ. Before you and I put our faith in Jesus, we are as dead as Lazarus was. It made no difference to God whether you have a pulse or you don't. We are four days dead in sin. It does not make any difference to God whether you're physically dead or just dead in sin because he has the power over sin and death. Either way, we're both just asleep. And I believe that Jesus waited till Lazarus was so dead to bring him back to life so that the man who was buried in the tomb was not the same man who walked out of it. I don't need you to be mostly dead because I'm not renovating or remodeling your life. I need you to be dead, dead. Because the man who comes out of that tomb is not the same man that was buried in it. He had to have new organs, a new heart. He had to have new blood flowing through his body. It was not a renovation, it was a resurrection, but it wasn't a resurrection of an old life. It was a brand new person walking out of that tomb. This is what Jesus does. Jesus comes to Lazarus and he shouts Lazarus' name. He says, Come forth. Yeah. Can you imagine Lazarus shuffling out of the grave? Hallelujah. He didn't, he was shuffling. Because what did he have on? Grave clothes. Because right. right. he didn't want to trip, bust his head, and die in the grave again. Yeah. Ah, hallelujah. So he's shuffling out. Yeah. I told the worship team, I said, Can you imagine? People that didn't know who Lazarus was a couple weeks later, they're like, hey, so what'd you do a couple weeks ago? I took, I was dead for three days. Mm. What? Yeah. Mm. Do you know when you're dead, you don't know you're dead? Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. But somehow, when the one who has power over death yeah. says your name, You just wake up and you don't even realize that you were dead. It was just dark and now it's light. Are you understanding what I'm saying? I'm looking at people in a room that used to be dead. But when you put your faith in Jesus, you are made alive because of Christ yeah. second Corinthians 517 therefore if any was if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation yeah. the old has passed away yeah. behold all things are new I want to share a testimony really quick there was a Muslim man his name was Nabil Koresh Nabil Koresh grew up Muslim from Pakistan he met a man in college who was a Christian and they spent years arguing Christianity and, and, and Islam together. Christianity and is, Islam. He wrote a book, if you want to write it down, it's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And through the series of conversations, he finally gets to the point where he realizes that Jesus is the way, He is the truth, He is the life. Yes. And he's like, I've been fighting it, I've been resisting it. Matter of fact, he asked God to give him dreams. He's giving, he gives Nabil these dreams. His mom has a Islamic dream book. He calls his mom and he says, what does this symbol mean? What does this symbol mean? What does this symbol mean? And it has everything to do with where he is and how God is bringing him out of Islam into Christianity. Jesus was using the symbols of an Islamic book in his dreams to get him to understand what was happening in his real life. And he finally goes to his parents at the time where he cannot stand it anymore. He has got to say, I believe in Jesus. And he comes to them and he says, I believe in Jesus. I am sorry. And his mom said, you have literally made this the worst day I've ever had in my life. I regret bringing you into the world. And there's this moment in the book where he talks about being in his apartment where he is crying out to God, God, why? Why do I have to lose, listen? Why do I have to lose this old life just at the expense of living, believing in you? And he said for the first time, he heard God speak to him and say, Nabil, this is not about you. Mm-hmm. And it says he's, he crumbles to the ground and he's weeping and he's crying and he does not know how long he was there. And then he describes this. He walks out of his apartment early in the morning and listen, he said for the first time in my life, everything that I saw looked different. Mm. He said that there was different color to the trees. Mm. I could hear sounds that I had never heard. He said, I saw people differently. Mm. Everything about me changed. Mm. Because God does not renovate old lives. He makes all things new. Not only will we have resurrection life when we die, but when we were dead in our sin, God has made us alive in Christ. He has given us the best of both worlds. And just like we sang when we started this morning, we are going to sing, sing it again because it ties beautifully into the Lazarus story. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb Till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. That is what life is outside of Jesus. You are breathing, but you're not really living. You're breathing, but you're not really thriving. You are surviving. He said, I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I tried to to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. You called my name. And I ran out of that grave. Is there anybody in the room that Jesus has called their name? And you are no longer in a tomb? I needed rescue. Do you know Lazarus could not raise himself? He was dead. Listen, if you're in the room and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus or you have fallen away from Jesus, you cannot fix yourself. You cannot rescue yourself. You cannot raise yourself from a dead lifestyle. You need someone to call your name out and join the club. Of all the people in the room, he called their name. My sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan, but you call me a citizen of heaven. Not only will we have resurrection at the end of our life, but we experience it in this life. Because while we were dead in our sin, he has made us alive in Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to go into that song again. But I want to appeal to you this morning. If you're in the room and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I believe this message was him calling your name out. Come out of the grave. By the way, do you know that the grave is an option? You can stay there. But he's calling you out to something better. He's calling you out to real life. He's calling you out to true life. And if you're in the room today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ for yourself, maybe you borrowed your parents' faith. Maybe you've gone to church. That's not the same. This is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ for yourself. You've never done that, or you have walked away from a relationship with Jesus. You believed at one point things got complicated. They got frustrating. Just the weight of the world was on your shoulders and you've kind of just walked away from from faith in him. And today is a day to say, I I want to restore faith. I want to put my faith back in Jesus because life has worn me out and I I, I need to come back. I I recognize it. I know that. If that's you in this room, you've never put your faith in Jesus or you want to restore your faith in Jesus, I just want you to just lift, lift your hand really quickly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. He's calling names. He's calling out names. You know the thing about him calling out your name His life is in his voice. When he says your name, he's speaking new life. So I just want you to pray this with me and then we're going to stand again and we are going to celebrate the fact that he called our name out because it's worth doing it again so just say this with me say Jesus I thank you that you have called my name Jesus I know I am in need of your forgiveness I have fallen short I've made mistakes I've sinned, but I believe that You have borne my sin, that You have carried my sin, that You died on the cross for me, and that You rose from the dead for me. And I confess today with my mouth that You are my Lord and my Savior. Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's stand and worship him again. How exciting is it that he called your name out? Come on. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.